Welcome, everyone, to Living with Tole. This is Greg Larson, and I should say welcome to the Living with Tole teleseminar. So grateful you could join us this evening. And uh, before we get started here, just want to let everyone know that uh, my co-host, Leo, he uh, just flew in from Argentina today. He was there for uh, a lengthy visit. Uh, that's where actually Leo was born in Argentina. And um, and so I just spoke to him just a second ago, and they just got in, and he just wasn't in the space to join us tonight after a, a very long flight. And so he won't be joining us, but we will have our guest with us. And uh, if you've... Uh, read the announcements that gone off, or if you, you've stopped by the, the Living with Tole website, you'll see that our, our guest is going to be Alma Schneider. We're going to be having this wonderful conversation, one that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the title is Cooking with Presence. And as we say here on the website, you know, basically how can the teachings of Eckhart Tolle you know, help you cook with presence? And basically... You know, his teachings are about being present in the moment. So how can those teachings and your conscious growth and your growing in presence power help you to, you know, have a more present experience in the kitchen? And as it goes on to share here, when you're in the kitchen, are you anxious about the future? Do you worry about food and how it will taste or whether other people like your meal or whether you'll have enough time to finish your meal or maybe you're anxious about the past and, you know, Will it live up to your mom's cooking or, you know, whatever those thoughts may be or you burnt the roast the last time, will you be able to do it this time? You know, and so basically, as Alma has shared, you know, her, the biggest obstacle she's discovered in working with many people on their journey of uh, having an enjoyable experience in the kitchen is this, this, these thoughts about the past and future and how they really pull us out of the moment and keep us from truly enjoying uh, the kitchen experience, and so that's going to be the focus of our conversation today. And before I bring Alma on, here's just a little bit more about her. That's uh, we have this posted here on the Living with Tole website. Uh, Alma Schneider is the founder of Take Back the Kitchen, a blog dedicated to helping people recognize and overcome the common and unique obstacles to being everything they hope to be in the kitchen. And she's a featured kitchen coach, expert on realsavvymoms.com and healthy food sponsor for babylovesdisco.com. And a few more here. Alma is also a frequent recipe contributor to family sites like suzysaid.com, baristakids.com, and rollmommy.com, and also Parent Times Magazine. And she's also written for numerous other websites such as momlogic.com and sirensmag.com. And Alma is a native New Yorker transplanted to the suburbs where she lives with her husband and four children. And she is also the founder and president of Parents Who Rock, a nonprofit organization recently featured in Family Circle magazine, which raises money for charity through concerts performed by parents who seek to reconnect with their musical past. So that's a little bit about Alma. So let's go ahead and bring Alma on. Alma, are you there? I'm there. I'm here. <laughs> I'm very present. I'm right here. You're present and in the now and here <laughs> on the phone with us tonight. So thank you yes. so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for having as I me. said earlier, you know, you're so welcome. Yes. I was uh, in my quick conversation with Leo. I was reminding him that at the beginning of this year, the you know, I was sharing with the, the listeners that one of my 
my themes for 2010 was to focus on my body and to you know be more conscious around number one was food and what I'm eating and how I'm eating and then you know another part of that was exercise and and but really you know giving my attention to my body this year because I want to uh, you know have a healthy flowing you know vibrant organism to join me in this dance of life and yeah. so and it's funny as the spring has progressed here I've gotten really involved with a local raw food community and uh, doing some of their events and going to a lot of their parties where raw food is being served and talked about and that consciousness is out there and so it's really come into my awareness you know you know we're, we're living beings and eating living food is so important to that whole mm-hmm. process Absolutely. You know, and that's just one aspect. The other aspect is I've got a three to five year old. You know, my wife is very busy with her career, and I have mine. And you know, and you know, balancing all of that with you know, spending time together as a family and preparing meals that are, you know, nurturing our children and are, are nurturing us. And so, you know, that balance, you know, within itself, and then also having this whole other awareness around just what food I'm eating myself and ultimately, you know, the kind of food I'm preparing for my children, you know, knowing that it's so critical for how they're growing and developing right now. So yes. for me personally, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and, and hearing all the, the wisdom and insights and tips that you've picked up along the way from working with individuals and groups and from all the research that you've done over the years as far as, uh, you know, taking back the kitchen and we'll just start right there. What is taking back the kitchen, and what is your approach to that? Well, um, I am actually a, a licensed clinical social worker. That's my background, my professional background. And I started Take Back the Kitchen, which is a blog and also my, my consulting business where I help, as you said, individuals and groups. Um, I started it because I started to see all around me, not just in my professional practice, but just moms and you know, mostly moms because that's who I was associating with because I have four young children. I started hearing people just talking about how overwhelmed they were with having to cook every day because until you have kids, you really don't have to cook every day. And a lot of people who do have kids don't cook every day, and that, that's you know, part of what I'm helping them overcome, these obstacles to cooking so they can provide healthy meals for their families every day. But the whole take back the kitchen phenomenon started um, when I really had this epiphany. Um, I had tried to help many friends learn how to cook over the years, and it finally dawned on me after an interaction with one of my friends that this, that learning how to cook was not, had nothing to do or had little to do with um, how intelligent you were, how successful, how educated. It really had to do with individual obstacles that were keeping you from achieving this goal and just as a it's similar to the therapeutic process that there are a lot of parallels but it's individual Um, it really depends on who you are what your background is that all of your experiences that have kept you from cooking or have allowed you to feel confident cooking so once I started really realizing this is not about you know education or or natural ability to learn how to cook, I started interviewing people, just friends and people that I knew, and to talk about cooking. I started saying, you know, what was it like growing up in your house? What were family meals like? Did you cook? Were you allowed in the kitchen? Were you criticized at a young age so that you kind of gave up? And all this fascinating stuff started coming up uh, about situations that people didn't even remember, you know, and all of a sudden they started remembering, yeah, you know what? 
my mom used to scream at me when I dropped flour on the floor, or my dad would never let me in the kitchen. He liked to prepare these gourmet meals, and I, and I wasn't allowed to have any part of it, so the food kind of magically appeared. So there's a whole generation of people that seemed to grow up, either they were giving convenience foods, and they, food came out of a box, which was very common in our generation, um, or they were just not taught how to cook because it wasn't considered a priority. We had all this food at our fingertips, prepared food that you could, you know, get at a very reasonable price from a restaurant or a takeout fast food place or that you could buy in a box. So there's this whole generation of people who were, were not taught how to cook, whereas historically people had to be taught how to cook because there were no alternatives. They, you know, the moms would sit down with the daughters typically and, you know, there was no choice. It wasn't even that they taught them. They, they were helping. They were forced to help because that's how you survived. You cooked your own food. So it's been lost because there's no real need for it anymore, and we're enabled by our culture. So I am so passionate about cooking and food. I always have been my whole life. So this was a perfect blending of my passion for food and my, my um, desire to help people overcome obstacles, which is why I became a therapist and a community organizer, social worker in the first place. So I have, I'm in heaven that I can have this career where I'm helping people learn how to overcome their obstacles to cooking so that they can have a healthier life for themselves and their families, so they can save money, so that they can um, have a, you know, just healthy physically but healthy mentally as well, and to bond with their kids. Um, it's so nurturing to be able to cook for yourself or for someone else your children or your, your friends, and to be able to give that gift to someone or to help people achieve that gift on, you know, with my assistance is really a very gratifying way to spend my days. And uh, I'm just thrilled that it happened, you know, that this evolved. Awesome. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I'm just curious, when you were, you know, hearing from all these people and, and their different experiences, uh, you know, basically, if they were saying, you know, they felt overwhelmed or maybe not equipped to, to do that, did they, was that adding to their anxiety as far as, you know, within their family and, you know, Absolutely. not being Absolutely. able to, to live up to that, whatever those standards are, I guess, for providing for your family? Yeah, absolutely. People, there's so much, there are so many layers of you know, emotions. There's frustration, anxiety, especially for women. Women believe that it's supposed to be innate, that you're born being a good cook or you're not. And being a, a woman is so tied in with being a, a cook that a lot of women feel incompetent. They feel like I'm not, I'm not a natural mother. I'm not a natural caretaker. Um, and you know, we've, we've been on a feminist kick for a while now, which is a great thing, but it's so ingrained in women to this day that you're supposed to know how to cook, whether or not, you know, it's acceptable to say it out loud. Women, in my experience, have really feel like they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to do, especially uh, I deal with a lot of working women who, or women who have worked and they come home, they decide to stop working if they have that luxury financially and they feel that they were very successful at work. They come to be a stay-at-home mom, and they can't do the job. And they feel that, wow, this is, I had no idea that I was, you know, that this was going to be so hard, that the organizing of, you know, shopping and prepping food and making food was going to be so difficult. So women, a lot of women have that kind of feeling where they, you know, their mom might have cooked a lot or their grandmother, and they thought it was just natural. And nobody really delves deeper to think, well, you know what, nobody ever taught me. Cooking is a learned skill. So that's one of the things that I address with 
my clients and on my blog is that this is a learned skill like anything else, like driving, like scuba diving. You would never just jump in the water not having been taught. And these skills build on themselves. So one of the issues is, is that, you know, tied up with gender roles, um, there's a lot of marital tension. So talking about, you know, frustration and, and tension in the marriage, that whether it's spoken or not, women feel that they're supposed to be the one doing this or they resent Ex, uh, they resent the the partner expecting them to do it, whether that's spoken or not. So there's a lot of conflict under there. So these expectations that they feel they're supposed to meet these expectations and they can't or they don't want to. Um, there's a lot of sadness. Um, a lot of women I deal with, it's very poignant. They want to, they use words like I'm not, I'm not mothering my child. I'm not nurturing my child. Mm. And this seems so passe. You know, people say, oh, well, women don't have to do this. You know, it's not, you know, women should be more cerebral. They don't need to be at home. But it is such a part of being a woman for so many women to be able to provide this for their children, for their friends, for themselves. And when a woman, and I speak mostly about women because this is typically my client, and women are, you know, the ones who are typically expected to do this. But a lot of women are really in a lot of pain uh, about this, that this is, you know, I can't take care of my child in the way that I had anticipated when I started having kids. I just thought it was going to come naturally, you know, like putting them to bed and reading them a story. But cooking, again, is a learned skill. And women have these expectations of themselves that, you know, that really cause a lot of pain later because they hadn't, they hadn't thought it through. So one of the things I do is I help people talk it out and figure out where these feelings are coming from, why they're having them, and then we move on to the practical stuff. You know, we, we really delve into what, who did the cooking in their house, uh, when, were they, when were their very positive experiences with family meals, and we try to recreate these kinds of situations that, that the individual really wants to experience and not, as you're talking about, thinking about the past and, and the future, thinking about, you know, I've, I've, I've failed so many times before. I've tried to make something. It didn't work out. And we go back, you know, over and over again saying, but you haven't learned. You know, you, these are skills that must be practiced. Once you really have an incentive and stick to the plan of, of practicing cooking and thinking about why you want to do this, it will, it will come together once you commit to it, if, if it's something that you truly want to do. So it's, you know, it's different for every client, but the common obstacle is that something is keeping, something from the past is keeping them from being able to achieve this goal and, or something from the future. Fear that, wow, if I start cooking, my husband's going to expect me to not go back to work. He's going to, you know, these irrational concerns that I, for, and, you know, maybe they're not irrational for some, but for a lot of women, they realize that they kind of are irrational, that, they're thinking that if they're going to be cooking, they're going to be domesticated, and they're not going to be perceived as as intelligent, cerebral women who have opinions and you know can work and are competent. And uh, that's a concern for women. They don't want to get lost in the stigma of the stay-at-home 1950s mother, wife. So those are some of the some of the concerns that uh, keep people from cooking. Yeah, and like you said, it's. Um layered there's lots of different um scenarios that can pop up there and like you said it's both a kind of a combination of the, of the past and the future that's creating this anxiety and probably unnecessary stress mm-hmm. and ultimately probably keeping like you say it's an obstacle to really creating a meaningful rewarding nurturing experience around this really critical mm-hmm. area of life yes very critical 
the guilt and the shame that people feel from not being able to cook. You know, sometimes I explain to people what I do if I'm at a party or something, and they sort of laugh, and they're like, what? Helping people figure out why they're not cooking, you know, they, they don't get it at first. And then once, once we start chatting, stories come out. Uh-huh. No matter who I'm talking with, stories come out. You know what? I think my wife has that, or I think that my, you know, I think I have that, or I think, you know, my 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 mom had that. She refused to cook for us because my dad criticized her, and she said, you know, screw you, and and she she just gave it up, and and here I am today, and I have no idea what to do in the kitchen. I just kind of chalked it up to not being interested or, you know, not caring about it. But the truth is, it was perceived in my household as something that I didn't you know, that wasn't important. And now, you know, the more you, the more you delve in to the conversation with people, it's really something very deep that they know that, you know, with all this stuff in the media about, you know, health, all the, all the additives in food, the genetically modified products, just there's so much fear out there around food that you, you know, that if you're not paying attention to what you're eating, you know, you might be destroying your life, you know, your, your health and your children's health. There's so much concern out there for so many people. And, and it builds because imagine if you can't, if you have this information, how dangerous what you're doing is, yet you can, can do nothing about it. And you're paralyzed with, with fear or with, you know, perfectionism or, or the fear that you're going to be stuck you know, without with your family not wanting you to move on and move forward. Just these, again, these irrational concerns that people have, and some of them, some of them are not irrational, but these concerns that you know, all these preconceived ideas of what it means to cook. And you know, I, my big thing is, it's how much more feminist can you be than to be able to provide for yourself and your family, to be independent, and make the choice to be healthy, and to actually act on that, to be able to to actually cook and provide these things and give them to your kids to nourish them and to nourish yourself. There's nothing more empowering than to be able to do that. And um, once people get past what their issues are that have kept them from moving forward, it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing because it's sort of like a light goes off. And, you know, I had one client say, I'm, I'm a part of the club now. Like they didn't, they felt like an outsider not being able uh-huh. to do this. They felt like they were not part of, of this whole segment of the population of life. They weren't included, because they, and, but they kept it. They kept themselves out of it. Um, and that's why I called my company Take Back the Kitchen and my blog Take Back the Kitchen, because it's empowering. It's from obviously from Take Back the Night. We're taking back, uh, you're taking it back from yourself. You're taking it back from other people. You're saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this back because this kitchen is mine and I can control what goes on in my kitchen, in my house, in my life. And it's very empowering and people feel that they, they, you know, just like with anything that you accomplish, you feel like you can move forward and accomplish other goals that you've wanted to do if you can accomplish something, you know, as monumental as it is to some people. Um, it's very, very empowering because you're you're giving life to your to yourself and your family. You're you're providing a healthy, consistent uh, meal time. And as we all know, you know there's all all these studies about family meals that if you're eating with your kids, you're gonna your kids are gonna eat more uh, a more varied diet. If you're modeling that for them, if you're eating vegetables, they're much more likely to eat vegetables if you're eating them in front of them at a family meal. If you uh, sit down with your teenagers and, you know, middle school kids, they are a lot less likely to be off doing drugs. 
is there are all these correlations with family meals because you have an, in this busy life of ours, there's no, there are very little opportunities to sit down face-to-face with your kids and have a conversation because we're all running around like crazy. Talk about being in the moment. Sit down with your children, making eye contact. It's something that a lot of people rarely do. That everybody's running around, but when you're seated at a table or seated at a coffee table, wherever it is that you are with your family, you're sitting down looking at each other in the eye and you're having a conversation, which is it's such a sad statement um, on our culture these days, but it's a rarity to have that with one another. So to be able to have a time where you kind of check in with your family, it allows for kids to feel like they can talk to you more, um, they're being nourished emotionally, you know, through the food. If there are just so many positives, and people really feel this, and there's such a feeling of warmth when people are able to cook and and provide this for their kids. And I don't mean 100% from scratch. You know, I don't mean to imply that. But when you're really, when you know where yeah. your ingredients are coming from, when you're educated, when you're empowered, you know, to to make these choices, these healthy choices, and put it all together and create this scene for your family is is very empowering and it's a beautiful thing and people really the people that I've worked with and um you know who have gotten to that point it's 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 there are no words to describe it I you know I had one client say it felt like this was the way it was supposed to be everything kind of calmed down and the buzzing around kind of subsided when I started cooking because it provided this environment for the kids where they she just felt it was something that they were missing, and everything sort of fell into place. There was calmness in the house. You know, what comes to mind as you're speaking here is, you know, one, one little quote that is my favorite from Eckhart Tolle is, awareness is the greatest agent for change. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're, if you're looking to create change in this area of your life, you know, obviously this newfound awareness that you're providing to folks is, you know, is laying a foundation for moving through a process of shifting from where people are at. And I agree, you know, for thousands of years, people had to cook out of necessity. It was really the only way to nourish yourself. And then just really recently, there's been all these other things, you know, prepackaged food, so many more restaurants and fast Mm -hmm. food. It's it's so convenient to shift away from that. And it seemed like the, you know, everyone else was doing it, so why shouldn't I or, you know, whatever it was. It just seemed like the normal thing to do. But now I think people are realizing that this is, not only is the food not as healthy, but it's not as healthy as far as a social environment mm-hmm. or, or a, a family time, whatever you want to call that, for allowing the family to connect, to right. create that calmness, that, that opportunity to, for, uh, give, to give attention and to you know, connect on that deeper level can all yeah. happen around and all used to happen around a meal. We've kind of lost that now. Yeah, we've lost it. And... Uh, you know, it's funny, there's this, this article that's been circulating on all these feminist blogs about how Michael Pollan of, you know, The Omnivore's Dilemma uh, has blamed, the, blamed women for the loss of the family meal. But it wasn't women. It was, um, you know, I'm a big Michael Pollan fan. I don't know if this is, you know, they're kind of bashing him. But the, the bottom line is that this was not women who stopped. It was the food industry. Um, you know, a, a lot happened after World War II. There were so much so many products uh, that, that needed to have a place to go. After the war, you know, there was no place for the spam to go. The, all these companies producing these foods that had this very long shelf life 
um, they needed a place to go. And that's kind of when all the propaganda came out that, oh, women don't need to be in the house, in the kitchen. You know, they, they need to be out busy doing work. And there was, oh, there, were, there was so much marketing focused on the housewife. And that's kind of where it really took off, this idea. But women love to cook. You know, historically, women love to cook. It was one of the more pleasurable tasks in the house. You know, it's, it's a lot of grinding work having to deal with, you know, the laundry and the cleaning. But food, you know, in all these research studies, it showed that this, you know, cooking was one of the more pleasurable things that, that women enjoyed when they were working from the home. So it really, it, they went at it uh, to really get the women to, to purchase these items. And it's, it was a loss, you know, after a while with all this convenience food and prepared stuff when it really started taking over with corn crops and all this, it really, uh, it, it just, it, it, we lost it, you know, and now everybody, as you said, is realizing this is dangerous. You know, all these packaged foods, all these additives are really a danger to our health. So people are getting smart, you know, there, people are starting to realize this is not how I want to live. And people need to take a step back and look at their lives, and they are. You know, a lot of people are. And kind of where I come in is when people realize it, then try to do it and find that they're having difficulty doing it. And that's where, you know, the individual obstacles come in. It's like, why can't I do this? You know, why can't I get organized? Why can't I shop? Why can't I find the time? And, again, there are myriad reasons why people have these obstacles. But it is very gratifying to... um, to, to even smell the food, as you said, you know, historically the mealtime was around, uh, the socialization was around mealtime. People would gather um, to be around the food and to smell it. You know, it's so important to smell these smells. I just read something that uh, was talking about how the, the sense of smell is the only uh, sense that immediately goes to the brain. Once you smell something, there's no... There are no other processes going on. You're just immediately reminded of, a, of something from the past, which is why it's so powerful. You know, when you walk in somewhere and you're like, oh, my God, that's my grandmother's apple pie. That's, you know, I, that smell just brings me back. It's important for people to have this experience growing up. And uh, this is the first generation where someone would be able to grow up literally without having a single home-cooked meal in their entire life because people are born, have been born into the fast food generation and will never have a need, never have any need to, to get food for, for anywhere from, you know, other than a McDonald's or a, from a box. And that's a really sad thing when we think about our childhoods. I mean, I'm sure you have experiences as well. You, you think about family meals sure. and you think about being at someone's house when they were cooking or your aunt's, you know, your favorite cookies that your aunt makes or, Whomever, everybody has stories about this, and this is a generation that might grow up not having those experiences. Oh, you know, my sister used to make this, blah, blah, blah. My mother used to make this. And it's, it's very comforting to be able to re- be on the receiving end of home-cooked items and to be the one actually preparing them. You know, I have a lot of clients who say, I want my kids to come home from college and say, oh, will you make me your blank, you know? And right now, they don't have mm-hmm. any blanks in their repertoire <laughs> except for, you know, frozen yeah, chicken exactly. nuggets or a lean cuisine. They want to be able to have somebody come home to them and, and say, oh, would you make me that? And that might seem, you know, so unimportant to some people, but for people out there, people that I'm working with, I've heard it over and over again, they want, it's, there's something to that. It's not just, oh, you know, a, an ego thing or a, you know, you want your kid to still want you. There's something about a home-cooked meal that is a part of who we are. It's part of our DNA, and we need to get you know, back in touch with that. 
and there's nothing to be ashamed of if you're a woman wanting to be in the kitchen. It's, it's, again, it's very empowering to be able to provide these things for someone, and it needs to be valued. And that's something that society needs to change. People who are cooking at home, this is a valuable part of, of daily life, and there needs to be time allotted to it, um, and people need to have access to fresh ingredients. This is a very valuable part of daily life. And we need to make food affordable, fresh food affordable for people who live in neighborhoods where now it is not affordable or accessible. And uh, all of these, you know, on another social policy level, these need to be addressed as well as on an individual level. Exactly. You know, and one thing that comes to mind for me is, uh, you know, as you're talking uh, about, you know, all this busyness that we're in and, you know, as Anais mentioned, you know, creating that awareness is really, I, I think, making or really looking at this and prioritizing it in a way that, you know, if you don't have the time, what, you know, to sit down and look at life, you know, what is really of value for you? Right. What is all those other activities, are they as valuable as making time in your day to, you know, like you said, to buy the food, to prepare yeah. it, to cook it, and to do everything? You know, and, and, and I love what you're doing because you're creating awareness around how critical this is. This, this is more critical than, you know, even a baseball game or, you know, or more critical than s- some other activity that might be keeping you so busy. Yes. You know, there, there is value in that, but you really need, you know, it's, it's, it's important to sit down and really evaluate how critical is, you know, creating time in my family for food for the yeah. whole aspect of that and creating a ritual or creating an experience at every day because we eat food every day. So creating yeah. an experience every day where that is valued and those other things, even though they were fun or they, they had some you know, enjoyment in them, is it really as important as right. you know, food? Yeah, it's absolutely prioritizing. And one of the things I do with the people that I work with is I say for four weeks, just for four weeks, it's, you know, and this is only for people who are very invested in wanting to do this. They've either hit rock bottom or they really feel like they need to change. I say for four weeks, do you think that you can find 10 to 15 minutes a day that you typically allot for something else? And, you know, it's, it's shocking. And, I, and I'm included in this, how much time I go on Facebook. <laughs> you know, you get sucked in. I, I go on there and then I'm, I end up, you know, losing the evening being on there. But to really you know, get a journal documenting what you spend your time doing and to find 10 to 15 minutes per day um, to a lot, to something having to do with cooking, whether it's you know, going to the store next door, whether it means chopping fresh vegetables or watching the Food Network to get inspired by something that they're making, by browsing you know, through a magazine, something food-related just to, get, to start getting inspired and slowly but surely people really do realize like you know what i don't really need to spend that you know half hour you know chit-chatting with my friend on the phone that i end up doing or i don't need the play date to last as long as it does and that's something that one of my clients told me she said she felt badly because people would come over with their kids and she didn't you know she knew she had to make dinner but she didn't want to be rude and she would just let the person stay and i said you know you don't have to be rude. And this is, you know, one of the, this is just one intervention that I make. 
But saying, you know, teaching people how to tell someone without being rude to leave, (laughs) you know, and it's a, you know, letting the person know, you know what, I am, I'm on a four week journey to take back my kitchen. And I am, I was told by my, by the person I'm working with, or I just promised myself that I was going to take, I was going to make dinner tonight. So it's not insulting to the other person. It's letting them know that, hey, you know what, I, uh, this is important for me and my family and I need to stick to it. And by telling someone that, you might inspire that person to go home and start getting dinner ready or to start thinking about making dinner for their family. So it's all, you know, it's a trickle-down effect. It's, it's spreading the love, the kitchen love, and just, you know, it's being confident about what you're trying to do because there's a good reason why you're trying to do it. And I have people think of their incentives before they even begin doing anything. I have people, as you're saying, you know, I have them gain awareness to really think about why they're doing this. Why have they come to see me? Why do they go on my blog? Because, you know, they'll give me a list. You know, I want my kid to not be shocked when I make a pasta sauce. I, I, to say, you're making dinner? I want my kid, it, I want it to be normal for my kid to, to see me cooking. I don't want them to be shocked. Um, I, I want my kids to be healthier. I'm embarrassed. You know, whatever your reason is, and everybody has a different reason, but, you know, I'm embarrassed when people see all the frozen food in my freezer. Um, I want my husband to be able to bring a friend over at the drop of a hat so that I can make dinner for them and not have to stress out and have a panic attack because I have no idea what I'm doing. So all these different reasons people have, but I have them get in touch, and all the reasons are are acceptable. Um, They just need to get in touch with those feelings and become aware of why they want to do this so that when obstacles show up, like a play date that's going on too long, interfering with their plan to cook dinner that night, that they have a pat answer or a pat, you know, response for this person so that they can get out of, you know, get rid of that obstacle and move forward with their plan. But as you said, it's, it's all about awareness, um, realizing what you want and how you're going to get it and to plan for it. So much of this is planning because you have to plan to cook. You, you have to buy, you have to plan in advance to go shopping. You have to plan to do your prep work and you have to plan to actually cook the food and then clean up, you know, clean up after you're eating it. So there, there is time involved, but as you said, what more, you know, what's more important than, than eating? You know, we eat, we sleep, we breathe. You know, we, ha- we need this to stay alive and to be healthy and to do whatever it is that we want to do in life. And so getting in touch with that incentive, becoming aware of it, and actually doing it, or, you know, that's the key. And you can't do it unless you are prepared and can anticipate those obstacles. Exactly. You know, and as you're talking there, what comes to mind for me is, you know, one of the things that Eckhart Tolle teaches uh, for folks who are wanting to, to grow in presence power, become more present, is to connect with nature, to go for walks in nature, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to observe nature and through observing nature, connecting that inner stillness. And so what, it, what reminds me is, you know, buying fresh vegetables and preparing yeah. those. You know, if you buy, you know, if you buy everything in a box, there's not a whole lot of nature no. in, a, in a box. And then you open the box, and there's a plastic package over yeah. that. And then you, you know, you take a knife and you slice it open. It's all frozen. You throw it in the microwave. You know, mm-hmm. it like it. It's there. There is a, a a bit of nature there, but it's almost been stripped away. Absolutely. Whereas if you're buying fresh vegetables that you can hold in your hand and and look at them. And there's a, an aliveness there. There is a sense of nature there so that even yeah. beginning a journey of buying fresh vegetables, bringing them into your home, cutting them, smelling them, 
mm-hmm. tasting them, is a, a spiritual practice as I'm beginning to understand it now. It absolutely is. And I have my clients do that. You know, I have them close their eyes and taste it and to smell it. And, um, one of the things that I think is very uh, empowering and comforting also to feel like you're part of the earth is simply knowing what's in season, where you are locally. You know, there's this mm. whole locavore movement to buy locally for your farmers and, you know, for health reasons, but also just the simple knowledge that this was grown now <laughs> in my area and I'm going to eat it knowing that you're that close to where this, you know, where this was grown and that it's not, you know, frozen. There's, you know, I'm a big proponent of frozen vegetables because I think that that's, you know, they're often more fresh than the vegetables that you get because they're frozen immediately when they're picked. I'm not saying don't yeah. use frozen vegetables, but to really focus on fresh vegetables if you can is it is spiritual because this was grown. This is the season when when these this is the only time when these plants can be can be um, eaten, these vegetables and these fruits, it's, it's, you're very much connected with the earth when you're eating something local that has a short window, but you're going to get it in there. You know, you're going to get it, and you're going to be able to eat it and enjoy it. It's going to be the freshest it'll ever be, and then you'll move on to the next seasonal fruit and vegetable. It's, it is a, a deep experience to, to become aware of that. Um, I, I am embarrassed to admit that up until fairly recently, I wasn't sure what was in season because my entire life, you know, I just ate fruits and vegetables all year round in New York City that were available all the time pretty much in my local supermarket. So it really took some effort yeah. to find out. You know, it didn't take a tremendous amount of effort, but I had to kind of think twice, like, hmm, is this, you know, when is this vegetable? I really don't know. Um, you know, you can Google it. It's very simple to find out. But people, you know, as people get older, it's also embarrassing. This is another issue that I come across. It's embarrassing and shameful for some people not to know these things at their age. You know, they may be 30, 40 years old, and they feel they have these expectations of themselves because of prior experiences in their life um, of being criticized or of just, you know, they're hard on themselves for a variety of reasons, but they feel embarrassed that they don't know these things. But again, how would one know if these were available to them all year round and no one ever told them? You know, they were focused on other things. They weren't reading vegetable gardening books. But it's, we are fortunate enough to have the Internet. You Google it, you find out in two seconds when this stuff is um, available, you know, when it's seasonal. So it's, you know, that's another thing that keeps people from, from delving into cooking. I have a client who was supposed to be making a recipe with me, and it called for a shallot. And she was procrastinating, not getting the shallot. And I said, you know, have you gotten the shallot yet? And she admitted that she was embarrassed because she didn't know what a shallot looked like. She was over 40. She didn't know what a shallot looked like, and she was embarrassed to ask the storekeeper what, what oh. it looked like or where it was. So, and this is a very educated, very intelligent person. And uh, it just goes to show how deep these things run, that as a woman, I feel like I'm supposed to know these things. You know, it's innate. I was born knowing what a shallot looked like and where to find it in the supermarket. These are all learned skills, and I just I can't impress upon that fact more that point that it's really these are all learned skills learned information that we have access to you know if you're embarrassed to go to a store and buy a book about it go anonymously online and find out this information there's a way around it you know to deal with all the issues but we first have to get in touch with what our issues are totally and again that i think we're you know cultivating a state of presence will allow you to move through those you know those blocks or, or that 
you know, um, kind of those uh, fears, in a sense, to more organically approach this whole process. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I wanted to mention, because you were talking earlier about, you actually have your clients, you know, close their eyes and taste and smell. You know, mm-hmm. that's actually something that Eckhart recommends as a, as a spiritual practice, although what he says specifically in the book is, you know, when you're in the kitchen, you put your hands under the water to, to wash your hands, is to, you know, give your attention to that process, to not think about what happened yesterday, what you can do tomorrow, right. but when you're washing your hands, you really feel the water go over your hands, and mm-hmm. in doing that, you bring your awareness into the present moment. Absolutely. And again, it's the same thing with food. When you're preparing food, give your attention to that. As almost said, you even pick it up, close your eyes, smell it, taste it, begin this exploration. And not only are you benefiting yourself by feeding yourself healthy food, it can be a spiritual practice. And there, there's an opportunity to grow in presence by engaging in a more conscious way mm-hmm. with you know, the food you're selecting, eating, preparing, all of that. Yeah. So it's hard to do it if you have the layers of anxiety and expectations on yourself until you until you can come to a, a calmer place within yourself to start. It's very challenging for people to be in the moment to, to smell it and taste it because they're they're kind of trying to avoid all their defense mechanisms are at work trying to push away the the past experiences of failure in the kitchen and people criticizing their food and you know maybe joking about their food but it it was something that hurt them deeply that made them not want to do it so until someone comes to a place where they feel like i can do this and they feel confident and they feel supported um it's hard for people to be in the moment and once they do feel that calmness they can truly experience what you're saying, this, you know, being connected to the food and enjoying the colors of the food and the way it, it feels in their hand and how it looks different from when you, you know, when it's whole to when it's chopped and to the, all the different variations you can, you know, all, everything you can do with a tomato, you know, the, the endless list. It's a creative process, but until there's this awareness and this confidence building and support, um, you can't live in the moment, you know, so that's, and it's, and it's painful and it's frustrating for people not to be in the moment, to be distracted by all these, these other, these other interferences. So it's, once someone is able to get to that place to experience it, it's, it's very, uh, it's, it can be life changing, but it can work the other way. And I do do that with some people who are more, um, you know, sense more sensual. I will force a person to stop and to not focus on the technique or anything and to just stop, even maybe get out of the kitchen and to go into another room and hold the tomato because even the kitchen can, can cause people to, you know, get anxious being in that surrounding, having those surroundings. But yeah, to go into exactly. another room. Yeah, hold that tomato in another room, in a room where they feel calm. You know, maybe they feel the most calm in front of their TV. If that's what it takes, go in front of that TV and hold the tomato you know, smell the pineapple, whatever, you know, it's, every person is different. And um, if that's what it means for you to get to that special place, you need to do that and not feel that, oh, well, this is how it's supposed to be done. It's supposed to be done in the kitchen because that's just the way it is. No, it's your own journey. It's your own process. And if you're com- comfortable elsewhere, go with that. Think about how you've accomplished other goals. Do you do your, do you do your work in a noisy subway in New York City or do you do it in the quiet of your office? You know, you, you go to where it's quiet and, and you feel safe and comfortable. Excellent. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we're coming here now, we're rounding out towards the, the uh, 
later half of the call here. And for those who are on the line, I just want to let you know that if you have a question of Alma or if you want to share your experience, go ahead and hit star six, and then it'll let me know that you want to ask a question. I'll go ahead and uh, you know, hit the button that will allow you to speak. So if you have any questions for Alma or for me or about how you know, cooking with presence, whatever that is, go ahead and join in the conversation. We'd love to have your questions or have you share your experience. And so, Alma, you know, one thing that uh, recently I was able to attend a taping with Eckhart Tolle here out in, in Malibu. He was doing some mm-hmm. tapings for Eckhart Tolle TV. And one of the questions that was asked of him from the audience was they wanted to know, you know, this woman stood up and wanted to know what he ate. Or, or mm-hmm. I don't know, if she, I don't think she quite termed it vegetarian, but she wanted to know what he ate or mm-hmm. what, he, what his diet was. He didn't directly answer that, what the... the how we responded to that question was, you know, it's, a, it's more important that each person tune into their body and while they're eating or, or thinking about eating something, really listen to their body. Mm-hmm. He gave an example that, you know, when he walks into a store, he might see a chocolate bar and in his, in his mind there might be a story that says, ooh, that chocolate will taste really good. Mm-hmm. But then he'll stop take a few breaths and really listen to his body and his body will let in a sense send him a message saying that won't be that that great of an experience for me in a sense the body will say that mm-hmm. so he recommended that as you go through you know because food is so important because if your body is sludgy and you know not functioning properly or diseased or clogged then it's more difficult to feel that aliveness, which is always pointing mm-hmm. to that inner body, that inner mm-hmm. energy field. So having a, you know, a vibrant body is very important. Food is you know, the most important thing within that. Yep, absolutely. And, so, and everybody's you know, body I, responds I, differently to different foods. So it is an individual process to really become aware and to be aware of how you feel after you eat certain foods, to not just tune in before you're going to eat it or while you're eating it, but after is that food you're eating making you feel lousy afterwards? And to really tune in at that point as well to know for the future, you know what, I'm going to think twice about that next time. Even though it looks good in the moment, um, it might not be something that's going to be good for me. And what you were saying, you know, if you're, if you're approaching this now new for the first time, you, know, you go to look at your freezer or refrigerator and you see all this packaged food, and so maybe it might be a good opportunity to go out and buy you know, some fresh vegetables, whatever it is, and just taste between the two. You know, it's so easy to eat unconsciously, to just gobble up right. anything that fills us up without really being aware of how is it truly nourishing your body. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and you might have to, you know, douse it with salt or whatever just to make it flavorful. Right. You know, and so really beginning this experience of being conscious of what you're eating and slowing down enough so you can sense, wow, you know what, this really isn't that good. I've been eating these packaged meals for years and never really thought about it. And then go out and, you know, prepare a fresh salad or, you know, whatever that is and really sense the aliveness that's Mm -hmm. present in food. And that might create a shift in awareness that can, you know, be a more easier access point for this journey. Sure, sure. And just to be aware that, you know, it's made to look very appetizing on the packaging, that marketing, you know, it's all about the marketing. And if the food were really that special, they wouldn't need to put all all the pretty pictures on on the front. So to really be aware of packaging and how much that influences what we think we want to eat. 
just from the pictures. And if that were stripped away, if you just saw this, you know, frozen or these greasy things right in front of you, we might think differently. But the packaging is, is really something important to be aware of. Yeah, I, I saw a, a little trailer for a movie called Food, Inc. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what they talk about. The, the packaging, you know, makes us make, would make you believe that everything was grown on this small little country farm. Right. As wholesome as your, your grandfather, you know, uh, the food he ate. But really, it's, there's so much of our food is created in a factory-like setting yeah. and very, um, you know, very, in a very unhealthy setting also. Again, you know, the theme is just being very aware of what you're eating, how you're eating, and mm-hmm. the environment you're creating when you eat. You know, the family meal time. How is yeah. that? How is that? Your current situation serving you and serving your family as far as creating that connection and that right. deeper experience. Right, and it's it's making that a priority as much as as much as possible. You know, I, I lived in Spain for a while and. People say they work to live there as opposed to how it is with us where we live to work. And there's a whole different mentality there. You know, it's all about socializing and eating together. And, you know, we've gotten our priorities a little screwed up now. You know, we're just, everybody's in a rat race. But when you step back at the end of your life, you want to be able to say, you know what, I spent a lot of quality time and a lot of, you know, wholesomeness in my life. And if we're running around like maniacs eating on the run, it's not going to happen. So it's it's really important that we look at our lives and look at the system within you know which we live to say is that is this system accommodating my 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 desire to have positive social interactions and healthy living and for a lot of us it's not you know and we do need to make some changes and to be aware of you know what's keeping us from doing that and to make changes there so that we can have this life that we want exactly you know and as you mentioned that it's you know, we live in a, in a society, in a culture that is geared this way, so it seems normal to be that way. It seems normal to eat right. packaged food, but ultimately, even though it might be normal, does it, is it truly resonating with you? Is it truly nurturing you? And really, like you said, I, I love your little framework there of taking four weeks or even, you know, I'm a life coach myself, so I would even say, you know, just even take the next week yes. and really, yeah, whatever the person as just an exercise, give yourself space over the next week or four weeks, whatever that what works for you, and really give your attention to this area of your life mm-hmm. and see, you know, what level of satisfaction you currently have, and then as you begin to cultivate awareness, you know, and sense the value of whatever that is for you, begin initiating action so that you can take steps to have a more, you know, presence in the kitchen or have a, you Mm -hmm. know, cook with presence, however you want to frame that for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And you'll, you know, typically people start realizing, oh, you know what, it's not so scary. It's not so intimidating. It's not so overwhelming. And, you know, starting small is the key, as you know, as a coach. It's, you know, if you give it a few minutes, maybe even five minutes for someone who's truly overwhelmed, um, it's doable, you know, and you build on that. And as you build on it, you gain confidence, which just, it feeds the ability to want to do more, the desire to do more. Once you can, you can successfully complete that five minutes of total immersion in, in food or cooking. So it's just, it's committing to it, realizing what your incentive is and just, and acting and figuring out where you've where where you're coming from. 
And that is key, just initiating any type of action. And as you take those steps, new awarenesses arise, and then you can move forward from there. Mm -hmm. You know, and Mm -hmm. I I think what you've been talking about all along is that we have these, you know, these fears, and they keep us from even initiating that first action. They keep us from, from, you know, taking even the tiniest of steps, you know, which might just be to buy just whatever, just, you know, one type of food and, and work with that just to start with or just take one day out of the week and say that uh, this day I'm going to commit to creating a meal experience you know, mm-hmm. through the whole process of buying the food, planning a meal, whatever that is, mm-hmm. just as a place to start, taking those small steps. Oh, absolutely. Even if it's assemblage of food, a, yeah, yeah, even yeah, if yeah, it's assembling, not even ships. cooking it, just like buying a few things to put together into a salad. You know, for some people, that's where they need to start. Not even, you know, using a stove, just putting something together that's creating something um, that they didn't pull out of a box. You know, and every, every person is different. So that's something that I just, I think is so important for people to hear that just because the Food Network is out there and all these shows and magazines and articles and TV shows about cooking, there's a whole, there are a whole list of issues that are not being addressed that a lot of people have. So you're not alone if you're out there and you're, you're, none of these programs or magazines are working for you. There are a lot of people out there that, that cannot be helped by these, by these articles and TV shows because there are, there are issues underneath. So it's really getting in touch with what those issues are to move forward. Which leads me back to this whole process of growing consciously. And as you do that, you know, a path forward is revealed. Absolutely, but to accept it and to, to own your, your fears and then to, to take it from there and not feel like, oh, I'm not a part of, you know, how come everybody else gets this, but I don't? Why can't I do this? There are a lot of people who can't do it, and I think that's very comforting for people to hear that I'm not alone, that this is, you know, this yeah. is a challenge for a lot of people. But, you know, in the media, you don't hear that much. It's just, oh, I'm a terrible cook. You know, oh, cooking's not my thing. But it's not, it's not talked about that, you know what? You know why it's not your thing? Because there, there are some obstacles underneath it, but they can be dealt with, and you can do this. So I like to give people hope that everyone, everyone can cook. It's like that ratatouille movie. (laughs) Anybody can cook. They just might need to, to go at it a different way. That's not being presented to them now in, you know, in TV and magazines and books, but it can be done. Which is perfect. You know, the whole title of the show is cooking with presence. And I think if you, you know, if you're on a journey of cultivating presence and growing in presence power, that will benefit you truly in awake, awakening really to this whole process, which has been my journey. That's been my personal journey recently is awakening to, you know, how um, kind of distorted my perception of food was. Now I'm beginning to realize, you know, <laughs> that, you know, eating is so funny. I grew up, you know, my, in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and a lot of my, the food that I ate was cooked even though it was, you know, we grew it in our own garden, you right. know, and all that other stuff, we still cooked it. And just the other day, I was like, I looked at a piece of, of uh, corn on the cob, and I was like, why, why would I want to cook this? I can eat this actually just raw, <laughs> you know, and there's not really a, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm not forced to cook it in order to enjoy it. But mm-hmm. through my conditioning, right. I never, ever once, you know, would have thought, not to cook that. That just would have been my normal course of action. 
Yeah. So really, it's like, again, that's been my journey to awakening to this whole new discovery of food. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to expose yourself to all different types. Like I, I like that you said you were getting into raw foods. I made a raw beet salad yesterday, and I cut it up into small pieces, and everybody loved it at this barbecue. And nobody had ever thought to eat a beet raw. And it's much more nutritious raw. It's a very healthy. It's one of the healthiest things you can eat, a beet, and it's even healthier when it's raw. But if you haven't been around people eating raw, it would have never occurred to you to eat it raw. And that's why it's so important to think out of the box, you know, go to workshops for a kind of cooking or read a book, you know, that's kind of off the beaten path to learn different ways of eating and, and different indigenous diets because you can learn a lot and you will think out of the box and you will have a more varied interesting diet that will probably end up being a lot healthier than you know what most of us grew up with but yeah that's a perfect example like just because you grew up eating it cooked you know and maybe overcooked where most of the nutrients were eliminated you don't need to do that anymore you're your own person you have free will you you can educate yourself (laughs) nobody's going to force you to cook that corn anymore (laughs) you took back the corn exactly (laughs) i think that whole that discovery came about from my own awareness, my own awakening, and then mm-hmm. even more, you know, a specific awakening to this very important element in my life, mm-hmm. which is, is uh, you know, food. And as I said, it's the theme of this year for me. So I want to really, you know, be available to that, be open and be, uh, um, you know, uh, in that space of being present so I can try new things so I can, yeah. and if I don't, do it perfect. I'm okay with that because I, I understand it's a journey that I'm taking. It's not about trying the recipe once, you know, thinking I've failed and then, you know, having that leave an imprint where it keeps me from exploring. Right. Uh, I'm, I understand this is a journey and yes. that it takes practice and that I have to get into a flow so that this happens more organically and more naturally in my life. Yes, and no one is a born cook. Nobody's a born cook. Everybody had influences that made them more comfortable. If people cook a lot at a young age, they had influence. They probably had people around them who exposed them to cooking or people who gave them positive feedback when they cooked, whereas other people, you know, heard other people being criticized for cooking and maybe they have a more, you know, naturally vulnerable personality or they're vulnerable for other reasons, but that enters into the cooking realm of their life. And it's, it, that, it's, very, it's very important to remember that nobody is a born cook, that everybody learns it, and some people are more open to learning it than others because of other issues in their life. So you need to maybe look at other issues in your life. You know? Am I typically insecure? Am I typically afraid to venture into new areas? And why is that? You know, that enters into the cooking world. If you're nervous about not being perfect, that's going to enter into the cooking world. You're going, to, you're going to be upset if you fail at making a souffle the first time you make it, and you're going to beat yourself up over it and maybe never want to do it again. Get discouraged. So you have to really look at your personality type, how you typically you know, respond to things in life, because that, everything has to do with cooking and will have an impact on whether or not you're going to feel comfortable doing it or not. So it's not, cooking is not in a vacuum. In a, you, know, it's, you have to look at your whole life and how you, how you deal. And once you do... You'll move forward. It's awareness. Just like that's right, and that's the whole goal with this today's topic was to hopefully inspire everyone to, or, or and bring new awareness to this area of life. It's something I'm very passionate about, and I know that in growing in consciously in my own life, I know the value of, of having a body that's vibrant and alive and clear, 
it it allows me to be more present in life. So I'd really encourage everybody listening to you know really give your awareness to food and to your meals these next few days and and sense if there is you know a way that you can begin approaching it where you know it it supports you on your journey of awakening. It's aligned with you know people and how we have over thousands of years, you know, brought food into our experience to nurture us on this journey. So, Mm -hmm. and really make, as we've already mentioned, you know, making, preparing food and cooking food, make it one of your spiritual practices, just like you would meditate as a spiritual practice. Bring your awareness into those specific activities, chopping food, washing Mm -hmm. food, so that it itself can be a spiritual practice instead of something that's you know, wasting time if you, you know, wanted to look at it that way. Absolutely, and that is how a lot of people look at it, as it's time I don't have. I, I'm i in a zen state when I cook because I so enjoy it, and when I don't do it, I miss it because it, it is therapeutic. When you can get to that point, it's great, you know, it, where it's, it becomes automatic. And that happens when you, you know, even if you want to practice one recipe over and over again, you will get to that point quicker if it's you're really focusing on one recipe as opposed to trying to take on the world because it's going to take a lot longer if you're trying to learn a million different things. Learn one thing, just like we talked about a short, you know, a small goal. Give yourself one week, even two days to devote 10 minutes to cooking. Devote yourself to one recipe that you do over and over again so that it becomes automatic sooner and you'll get that positive reinforcement because you'll start getting better at it because you're only focusing on the one recipe, a very simple recipe, over and over, and then you'll have success. And that will allow you to feel com- comfortable and confident to move towards the next one and that will enter into your whole life you know when you accomplish one goal again you it will enter into other areas of your life where, where you're struggling and you'll say you know what i was able to do it with cooking I'll, I'll i can do it in this area of my life as well i didn't know how to drive till i was 34 and that's how i felt when i learned how to drive i said i can do anything you know at this late age having to, i moved i was a native new yorker i moved to the suburbs i did i never had to drive and then all of a sudden i had to drive and i never thought i'd be able to do it and I did it, and I was like, I can, I can do anything. I learned how to drive. <laughs> so perfect, <it's>, uh... <laughs> perfect. Say one more thing. You know, you mentioned uh, uh, practicing one recipe. One thing that Leo mentioned on our call is that, uh, you know, maybe you could create a living with Tole recipe, and we can put oh. it on the website. I would when we, love you know, to. When we release this call as a podcast. So if you wouldn't mind putting together a little living with Tole recipe, and we'll make that available for our, our community on the, on the blog post, that would be would really it. wonderful. I would be very happy to. So that will give, pre- so give you something to practice when you start this uh, journey. Is, uh, if you're looking for a, a recipe, Alma will have one for us here in a few days to, to uh, uh, allow you something to practice with. So. Great. I'd be happy to. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really respect what you're doing. I think it helps a lot of people to really to 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 for for to you know for me it's helpful as as you're doing to help people to really focus on being aware because it doesn't that doesn't come naturally to me and it probably doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. So it that's something else where you will, you need to allot time to do this until it becomes more natural. So I appreciate what you're doing, and I thank you for having me on to share what I'm trying to do. Well, thank you so much. And I, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it's like th- this is something I'm very passionate about, and it, you know, just seems so 
organic that you would appear and, and, and be on the show because this is something I'm focusing on this year. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experience. And I'm going to take the Living with Tole recipe and, and practice it over and over until I get that done <laughs> and begin this journey myself because I have a pretty limited uh, you know, limited repertoire of, of things I cook for the family when I cook. And so I'm looking to expand them itself. So I'm looking forward to discovering that myself and, and practicing it and see where that leads. So. And then I want a picture of you with the dish, and then I'm going to put it on my blog, Take Back the Kitchen. <laughs> we can do that. I'm taking back the kitchen, and I'm going to yeah. show you a picture of that dish. That's awesome. Thank All you right. for that accountability. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Elma. And thank we you. will, uh, again, in a, in a, when the podcast is available, we'll, we'll put that on the website and we'll include the, the recipe with that. And then we'll let everyone, you know, uh, have an adventure with that. And if you want, you know, come back to the website and leave, leave a comment and let us know how it went for you. And uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. So. Great. All right. Well, thanks again. Well, you are so welcome, and thank you everyone for joining us tonight and for listening and for participating in, on this Living with Tole 10-Minute Teleseminar series. And, and for those of you who are listening to the podcast, thanks so much for, for being with us today. And, and uh, again, our intention was to inspire you to, to bring presence into cooking, and I would really encourage you to, to give that a, a try this week and see how that shifts your awareness and shifts the way you approach it. So. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you again, Alma, and we'll be back next month with a new teleseminar. And again, stop by the website, you know, explore the many resources that are on there, and uh, if you feel inspired, leave a comment, leave, you know, share a story so we can continue this journey of growing in presence together. All right, thanks so much, everybody, and have a great night. Bye-bye.